I did all these notes because you told me to always do it the day of. Yeah. So I've been doing that now. And um, I'll tell you the thing that I've learned. I now watch it all the way through and then I go back and do the notes oh, on really? it. Oh, really? Is that what you do? That's what I do because I'm a podcast profesh. I do it the opposite way. I take the notes, <laughs> then I rewatch it and let it sink in. Who's right? Who's wrong? All right, can we start this thing, please? Hey, Ellen Marsh. Hey, Patrick Hines. How are you, girl? I'm really, really, really here. Can I tell you something? I just finished editing episode two, which oh, obviously God. the listeners have already heard, but like okay. we're, in, we're in the past right now. Right. We're in the past. You were so drunk by the end of it. And the funniest thing about it is that you guys, Ellen doesn't drink. She had half a cocktail. That's true. And at one point you were yelling and slamming your fist <laughs> on the table. And I had to stop and be like, girl, none of this is going to be usable. You have have to calm down and then five minutes later you go are you really mad at me Disappeared episode four. It's called The Last Truck Stop. It's the case of Michelle Whitaker. You guys, this one is crazy. It is crazy. I knew something was very wrong. No matter how mad we got at each other, I always knew she was around. A young woman struggles to get her life back on track. After a weekend of heavy drinking, Michelle Whitaker is last seen at a South Carolina truck stop. She was easily befriended. She would take advantage of friendships and have a place to lay her head down for a period of time. For six years, her family patiently searches and prays for her return. It's hard to go every day of wondering, is she walking around somewhere? Is she alive? Is she healthy? Is she okay? Or is she laying in a ditch somewhere? They begin to fear the worst. I started realizing something's wrong. Perhaps something happened to Michelle. New evidence haunts their vigil. There was that feeling that this could be it. Come on. You're either going to walk out there and find a body or you weren't. Where's she at, Jason? I don't want to go to my grave not knowing what's happened to my daughter. But if I do, I'll see her in heaven. So... First of all, let me just tell you this. This whole episode takes place in a town called Spartansburg, to which I had, like, my best Blanche Devereaux moment this morning when I was like, doesn't Spartansburg just, like, sound like a Grecian town where all the hot men just oil each other up and then wrestle naked? No? I, I didn't have that visceral reaction, but, like, I support you Thanks. and your journey. Thank you, girl. Yeah, I'm here for you. I mean, I just think of South Carolina as, like, sweet tea. Right. Don't they just sit around and drink sweet tea all day? I don't know. So, it's Sunday, August 4th, 2002, Spartanburg, South Carolina, 10.30 a.m. And Michelle, the, the woman who goes missing, her mother, Laura, gets a call from some guy that Michelle had been staying with, and this guy can't reach her. I got a phone call, and it was from a gentleman about 10 miles away that apparently she had been staying with. And he called me, and he said something's wrong, that he can't find her or reach her. And I'm not sure why I took him seriously, but I did. Um, right, so we meet Laura Andrews, who's Michelle's mom, and we realize at that moment she hadn't spoken to her daughter in three 
date. Yeah, and I was just going to say, like, we start to learn that, like, their relationship was a little bit tough because Michelle is kind of going through a rough time. She usually didn't live at home, but she was in and out of our house. Sometimes she didn't always have the money or the means to be in her own place. Her mom's like, Michelle doesn't always live at home, but when she does live at home, she's pretty hammered. Yeah, yeah. I liked the way she said alcohol was her main outlet. (laughs) Alcohol was her main outlet. But did you notice, as the mom is telling us about how alcohol is kind of like her main squeeze... We get this zoom in on these two super creepy dolls. Oh, I can't with the dolls. I have so many notes about the dolls. I know. I know. Why? I don't know. Why? And like, Someone it, is messing with us. It looks like there are actually dolls owned by Michelle's mother. Like, they're in her house. And next to the dolls is this creepy little, like, 1800s baby carriage. Yeah. And, like, one of the dolls looks like a creepy little Jean Bonnet with, like, yeah. the, the pin curls and the lipstick. They zoom in on the lipstick. And the, like, cracked eye a little. I I'm, I'm not here for the creepy dolls every time in my notes i was just watching and i just wrote creepy dolls (laughs) creepy dolls i wrote these fucking dolls are possessed (laughs) and she had been drinking and getting picked up a couple of times and i think she was just trying to run from her problems and didn't know how to do it so we learned that in the in the weeks leading up to her disappearance her parents think she's really out of control by the way her mom is like a major talking head we never meet her dad but his name is chuck i mean they mention him (laughs) poor michelle like michelle's just having a hard time she's gotten picked up a couple of times she got picked up for public intoxication and her parents like make their really hard and tragic decision like they're gonna teach her a lesson and make her like spend the night in jail right and so we meet Sergeant Alan Wood, who's the Spartanburg, South Carolina police, and he actually lives down the street from them. Do you know what I have in my notes when we learned that? What? Yikes. Yeah. Because imagine you're like a troubled kid and you just want to get in trouble all the time and the fucking detective lives down the street and he's best friends with your parents. And he said in his like best South Carolina draw, he's like, Michelle had some issues. <laughs> when I met her in late 1999, uh, I thought she was a very active, attractive girl. Didn't seem to have any outward problems other than um, maybe some issues with her mom and and, uh, differences of opinions of lifestyle and things. So uh, she had some issues. I love the Southerners who like, they're like, oh, she's a pea picker. You know, they're just like, bless her heart. She had issues. The thing about this guy, Detective Allen, as I call him, like he met Michelle in 1999 and he's like, I thought she was attractive and outgoing. And I was like, well, that feels inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow Southerners make it okay. I was like, well, she was real pretty. Right. Like, what happened? She was so pretty. <laughs> so we get a little backstory on Michelle in some lovely playback old home movie. She grew up in Illinois, where she seemingly had a close family. Her sister, her brothers, loved her nieces and nephews, loved her dog. They've always got a dog. I know. Just typical. Typical, except for the fact that we actually meet her sister Linda. Did you see where Linda was coming to us live from? Wait, I mean, yeah, but where? A party boat. Uh, <laughs> Linda, I, I guess just, I didn't notice that. <laughs> she's sitting on a party boat and I had this idea that like the, the filmmakers showed up and they're like, where should we shoot this? And Linda's like, you know what I was thinking? My party boat. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think that. I thought it was a pool. No, 
while she's sitting on like a party but i just could not get over it i love that like the entire time she's like my sister's kind of a mess but i made it look at my party boat <laughs> look at my party boat my sister's kind of a mess but anyway it's all seemingly normal until um the mother tells us she got married right out of high school she was too young to be able to deal with the issues of being with someone like him he did treat her well it was extremely difficult and it was a beginning of years of pain for her. They kind of gloss over he was abusive, all these things. Fast forward to she's 30 with not one, not two, but thrice failed marriages. Yeah. the One of the things we learn about her early marriage was that her mother noticed in her first marriage that the guy wasn't great. He wasn't treating her very well. And that was when she started like drinking and like the substance abuse. And so that's kind of like what comes out of these marriages. Because if you look at her siblings, like all of her siblings are married and they're having kids. Her sister's got that fabulous party boat. And she's like, <laughs> she's hanging out trying to be the good aunt. But you can see that like she kind of wants what they have, but she's got this substance abuse thing, which is a real problem. Exactly. And so in July of 2002, she was arrested on a drunken disorderly charge. Yeah. So we're back to like where we started. Right. Like that, that's where the episode opened. So remember how her parents like wanted to teach her a lesson by letting her go dry out in jail, which by the the way the fact that this has never happened to me is a goddamn miracle <laughs> or you, you drinky pants my love you would not fare well in prison okay i mean i would actually fare well in yeah prison. you would fare well it would be the end of days could yeah. you imagine me like ellen get me out of this prison oh my god i'm a pimp i'm a pimp and then like, I could just imagine that phone call. I cannot imagine it. Michelle is supposed to be held in jail until a spot at a local alcohol rehab clinic opened up. But that's not how events unfold. So, but this is the thing that always gets me, and this shit happens in every goddamn one of these documentaries. Michelle is supposed to be kept in jail until, like, a bed opens up at a local rehab, right? Like, that, I don't know if it was the judge's order or whatever it was, but that was the deal. And then we we learn, quote, in a clerical mix-up, that doesn't happen, and this poor addict is back out on the streets. Right. Clerical mishap, what does that mean? When that happened, I screamed at the TV, I was like, a what? <laughs> she goes back to the street, and she's like, Hey guys, don't tell anyone. Clerical error. I'm out. Like, what? Clerical error? I know. But this is when, like, back to the beginning, like, this is when that friend calls Michelle's mom and he's like, Your daughter got out of jail like five days ago, but I haven't seen her in like three days. And Michelle's mom is like, Say what, girl? When I went down to the police station, the desk sergeant said, She's an adult. She can do anything she wants. We can't help you. And I said, well, I'm her mother, and I'm going to tell you that something is wrong. So then we meet, I love this title. Do you remember his title? I didn't write the whole thing down, but I do remember that it was a fun title. Master Deputy? Right. <laughs> he's like... That smacks of Stephen Sondheim's Sex Dungeon. I mean, oh, I, I don't even... like. He's like a Master Deputy. They're like, okay, Deputy Tom Smith. No, no, no. I said Master Deputy. <laughs> Could you write that down? Master Deputy. Wait, can we take a pause for a quick second? Because I feel like I caught you off guard with the Stephen Sondheim sex dungeon. Are you not aware of this? Do you want to explain it to the listeners? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Did you really want to pull at that thread? Master Deputy Stephen Sondheim allegedly has a sex dungeon in his basement. I mean, he's 91. Let the man do whatever he wants. Let him live out his golden years in peace and sex dungeon bliss. From the time she got out of jail to the time we put her at the truck stop, 
it appears that basically she was bar hopping from one establishment. Master Deputy, I've got a lot of questions. Truck stop girl? <laughs> bar hopping from establishment to establishment? So we find that that night she was with a gentleman named Brad Wines. Hold on a second here. We are going to have to roll this back. Brad, look, look, Brad. <sighs> okay, girl, breathe, breathe. I'm, I'm here okay. for you. I'm here. You are getting... <laughs> You, you wonder why you blow your gaskets and you sweat out through your shirts. Okay, what's happening? I'm like, why have I had a throbbing headache for seven years? Michelle meets a pipe fitter named Brad Wines. I was out riding my motorcycle. I just told a leisurely cruise. I stopped at a bar. She was sitting by the door, uh, peeking out the door quite often. Uh, looked like she was afraid, so I went over and spoke to her. We learned that, like, the day that she goes missing, or the day before, she's out bar hopping, according to Master Deputy. She's at this one bar, and we meet this guy, Brad Wines. And we are getting him, like, an interview to camera. He's saying to us, like, girl, I'm a pipe fitter. Patrick Hines has a lot of questions about what the fuck that is. So he sees this, like, young woman, and she he describes her as, like, standing by the door of this bar and, like, peeking out and like looking back and peeking out and looking back and I was like okay that's really creepy so like instead of avoiding the crazy person he walks right over to her right and he's like hey girl what's your story right that sounds like something I would do go on I don't see any cause for alarm go on I'd be like I want to know what she's looking at who she's looking at let me go find out I would do that in a heartbeat I'm a midday pipe fitter on a leisurely cruise on my motorbike I'm gonna stop and ask the crazy girl some questions wait wait (laughs) motorbike was he on a motorbike Was he? Oh, look at the chap on his motorbike. <laughs> when did you start saying motorbike? I don't know. I don't know what a pipe fitter is. Like, I have so many questions, Ellen. So he, they start talking. They have a couple of drinks. They get back on his motorbike. Yep. And they go to another bar. Right. I guess it's just totally fine to drink and drive on your motorbike. Yeah. They go to another bar where they, they shoot some pool. And he's inside smoking the whole time in his pipe fitting studio. <laughs> And then he he tells us like, well, now it's getting late in the day. And this weirdo that I found who's riding like on my motorbike with me wants me to drop her off at a truck stop. And I'm like, people are telling all the elements of this story like it's just a regular story. It was getting late, getting dark again, and she wanted to go to a truck stop. And I told her I'd gladly take her to a truck stop in the morning. Truck Stop. I mean, there's two things that happen at truck stops. Yes. Trucks get gas and such and murder. (laughs) Murder and gas. That's the only two things that happen at truck stop. Everyone has said truck stop so casually. The mom, everyone's like, well, then she went to the truck stop. The And the truck stop isn't the name of a bar. It is an actual truck stop. (laughs) Although we are now opening that gay club. Coming to Chelsea in 2021 when we can all go back outside. The truck stop, you guys. Musical Mondays at the truck stop. (laughs) Oh, Musical Mondays are. RIP. But so this guy, who I think is creepy, and I've got a lot of questions for, yep. declines the offer to take her to a truck stop. Right. Instead, guess what he does, Ellen? It's going to be a shock to everybody. Everybody sit down. <laughs> he takes her home with him. He takes her home, but he's so cute because he's very adamant that, like, I slept on the couch, she slept on the bed. I was like, come on. Again, all she had was the clothes she was wearing. I gave her a pair of shorts and a shirt. She could sleep in my bed. I slept on the couch. So the next morning, got up. Took her and dropped her off there, gave her 
few bucks to get her a piper and coffee and told her to talk to the truck drivers and good luck. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Yeah, except she then disappeared for 89 years and she's not here to tell her side of that story, creepy, weird pipe fitter guy on the motorbike. <laughs> and he says that, like, he literally says he, like, gave her a couple of bucks yep. to buy a coffee and a paper yep. and said, like, good luck talking to those truckers. Yeah, and that was it. So then <laughs> when... Then, when she's gone missing, the cops call this bitch to right. let him know that he's the last person to see her alive. And Wait, I was going to say that, Patrick. Okay, okay, what did you think? I was just going to change topics and start singing show tunes? Okay, right, continue. No, 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 no. no. no your turn, your turn. You go. No, I mean, so they say, you know, obviously when you're the last person to see someone that has gone missing, you are automatically a suspect. Police administer a polygraph to Brad Wines. At one point, he was a little bit suspect, but there was never an indication that he had done anything or uh, that that anything happened other than what he said happened. Even though they said he seemed a bit suspicious, his polygraph test checked out. Now, do you think in 2002, polygraph tests are admissible (gasps) in South Carolina? I'm going to say no. No, they are. They are. Yeah, I did a goog back to South Carolina, the judicial system, and their polygraph tests are 100% admissible in the state of South Carolina. I don't know now, but I googled in 2002 and I found like South Carolina versus Jackson in 2005. So I went back to about 2006 and I was like, okay, so they were admissible in 2002. Wow. So that's why he got off. He took a polygraph test and he got off. Off. The worst thing to come out of like the popularity of true crime podcasts for the police department is that now everybody knows to not take the fucking polygraph test. I know. Yeah, totally. I still got my eye on you, pipe fitter. You might be off the police's radar, but bitch, you are still on my radar. So yeah, and you know what? Word to the wise. You do not want to be on Patrick Hines's radar for so <laughs> many reasons. Just like stay off his radar. That's yeah, 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 my yeah. public service announcement for the day. You're welcome, America. She had heard that she could make good money working bars, restaurants around Myrtle Beach. So we learned that she told him the reason she wants to go to the truck stop is because she's had it. She's been fighting with her parents. She's been fighting with her mom. She wants to get out of town and go to Myrtle Beach. Like she's got this like idea that she can go to Myrtle Beach and get a job at like a bar or a restaurant and like make money and like just get away. And Brad tells them that. She says, well, I think she was on her way to Myrtle Beach. That's what she told me. So they essentially at that point go through all the scenarios, right? Is she mad at her family? Is she mad at her mom for leaving her in jail is she just acting out is she just trying to get away for sometimes but the thing that the sister explains to us is that from where girl the party boat (laughs) um So the sister explains, even when times were the roughest, even when Michelle and her mother didn't see eye to eye, her and her sister did always keep contact. She may have gone a couple weeks without calling my parents, but she always called me. She always wanted to be around the family. Even if she was mad at somebody in the family, she was still, she would still come around. It's just like, of course. I say this all the time. Nobody who like disappears off the face of the planet does that on purpose. That happens 0.9% of the time. That never happens. Someone knows something. Yes. And we're back to like Major Deputy Tom or whatever, Master Slave. Master Deputy? He's a master, Patrick. He's a master. (laughs) Master Deputy Tom is like, look, when people leave by choice, like they at least go home and pack their shit and call their family and say could you take care of the dog because this is the thing she's got a dog and like people don't do that they don't just disappear and not like provide for their animals she had a dog they tell me that she was real attached to and everybody you talk to would tell you that 
that she'd never leave that dog. And like, you don't just get into a truck with a stranger and just the clothes on your back and the 58 cents that creepy pipe fitter gave you and head for Myrtle Beach. <laughs> right. So now they are assuming that something is amiss, right? So they go to Myrtle Beach. Of they course search- they are. <laughs> they, they search the beach. They put up flyers. They set up a website <laughs> um, to find her. I just wanted to say, because yeah, like they search Myrtle Beach and then like the parents, like say they take it into their own hands and the parents really want credit for the hard work they did. Right. They're like, we even made a website. Because I guess in 2002, making a website was kind of like, let's think outside the box. What else yeah. could we do? <laughs> Yeah, so they did. And so at this point, this is where, I mean, I don't want to call Laura Andrews the mom garbage, but this is the time where she's just kind of reevaluating her parental decisions. Yeah. She's saying, what could I have done better? Because then we learn that in 1999, we found out that she was assaulted and she was raped. And then it comes out that the mom kind of said some not so great things, like maybe she put herself in a bad situation to be attacked to be assaulted it was all really really hairy what she was saying she was sexually assaulted the man broke her face so i mean he really beat her up what he did was totally unconscionable but she had put herself in harm's way by choosing to go where she went it was an unsafe situation that she got herself into I don't think that she took my response as being terribly supportive. But the mom reiterates it now. She's not looking back and saying, like, this is what I said then. She's saying, like, this is my stance and this was my stance then. And it's like, oh, my God, do you hear yourself? Yeah, that was a really, it was kind of one of those, oh, my goodness, did I actually just hear that right? But that is what she said. And then she says to us now, she's like, I don't think she took my response as being terribly supportive. And I think that hurt her. And I said, oh, what made you think that, mom? (laughs) Really? So we are now nowhere in the case. A year goes by and Master Deputy says, you know, we kind of thought she would actually just get herself into some trouble. I could see her mouth getting her in trouble. And if she found herself with a truck driver trying to depend on strangers or vague acquaintances that perhaps she could have said something wrong to the wrong person and and, and they hurt her. Wherever she went, she was going to pop up because the sergeant from down the street said, I can see her mouth getting her in some trouble. <laughs> he didn't have very nice things to say about her. But essentially they were saying, we're not going to find her. She's going to find us because she's going to have a run-in with the law at some point. But a year goes by and nothing. Yeah, and they're like, you know, I think these cops really care about this family because they keep saying, like every so often we would just like pull the files back out and like reevaluate and try to track down new leads and yeah like here's my question though like is there a national database of like I don't think there is I mean like I, at least like I think about on True Crime Obsessed when we covered like Ted Bundy the way he was able to like go from state to state and murder was because like Utah wasn't looking at California so like this guy doesn't have a rap sheet in Utah right. so he was able to get away with it so I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to go about trying to find a missing person maybe 
maybe call the FBI cops. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. And as soon as the cop mentions her mouth getting her in trouble, do you know what happens? We cut right to the dolls. Oh, wait. I wrote creepy dolls. Why? That's what I wrote. Creepy dolls. Why? So now two years pass. So essentially we're calling this a cold case, right? Yeah. We're re-examining old evidence. On the third anniversary of the case, the family receives devastating news, which is in the form of an anonymous letter. A strange letter arrives at the Spartanburg County Sheriff's Office. Anonymous and handwritten on notebook paper. It claims to know the location of Michelle Whitaker's corpse. It was super specific. It had like a map and details and directions. Yeah. And they follow up. They get the dogs. They get the sheriffs. The police pups come. They take the letter for exact fact. They search it. They search it. And the dogs never pick up a scent. Let me ask you this, though, because we actually see the cops with the bloodhounds doing the search. And my question was, is this footage from the time? or is this a reenactment? Had a boy. No, that's a reenactment. I was thinking of the director being like, do you think you could get the dogs and we could like go to the <laughs> pond? We'll totally bring Crafty. You'll have lunch, a whole yeah. setup. But here's my question, you guys. Is this the best use of police resources? Is this what we should be doing with taxpayer money in South Carolina? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You could have gotten the sister on the party boat to be like, girl, hold my wine cooler. We got the <laughs> dogs and we went to the place and the letter was creepy and the water in the tree. And I would have been like, great. You don't need to spend the taxpayer money and get the actual cops to go back and recreate it. I just don't need that. I just don't need it. Um, And I'm going to take the other side of the coin and say I appreciate the realistic acting. (laughs) So we then have a little bit of a break in the case. Deputies in Spartanburg carted Jonathan Vick off to jail. They say his arrest solved a 10-year murder. Investigators say Vic kidnapped, raped, and killed Dana Satterfield back in 1995. So this is where we come to meet Jonathan Vic. Now, Jonathan Vic in 2005 was arrested for the murder of Dana Satterfield, which actually happened 10 years earlier. Dana Satterfield was a salon owner, and in 1995, she was murdered by Jonathan Vic. He was then convicted in 2006. And Deputy Tom, like, they do not go into this, but Deputy Tom was like, girl, that shit was real brutal like apparently whatever happened to this woman was so bad they can't tell us about it the dana satterfield case probably one of the most brutal killings in spotberg county at the time right now where this becomes interesting is that his fiance heather sellers went missing about five weeks after michelle in 2002 and beyond that they all know each other i was told that heather sellers who went missing about five weeks after Shelly, was an acquaintance of my daughter's through where Shelly worked. They both worked. That's the big thing here. Like, this woman, Heather Sellers, who's been missing, worked at the Waffle House with Michelle, and Heather went missing within five weeks of when Michelle went missing and was engaged to this guy who brutally kidnapped, raped, and murdered this other girl. So, like, red flags everywhere. It's gotta be this guy, right? Totally. And so this is where we learn, and and Ellen, make me come back to this at the end because I have some commentary on this. Okay. We learn that, like, since Heather went missing and Michelle's gone missing and this Vic guy has gone to jail for that rape and murder, a woman has come forward who said she saw Michelle and Vic on a date at the Waffle House on the night that Michelle went missing. She describes 
Jonathan coming to pick up Michelle and Michelle changing out of her waitress uh, uniform into clothes and then leaving with Jonathan. So she says that Vic uh, came to pick Michelle up. Michelle was in her like work uniform. She changed and waited and then they left together. We're coming back to this. So they essentially go to Jonathan Vic to get information on Michelle but also Heather Sellers. So we have the three people. We have the Dana who died 10 years ago. The Heather Sellers who's gone missing who was his fiance and Michelle all kind of circling around this Jonathan Vick character. But apparently he didn't do it. Right. <laughs> I mean, they really gloss over that. I know. They're like, I mean, and he didn't do it. Jonathan Vick denies involvement and has never been charged with a crime in the disappearance of Heather Sellers or Michelle Whitaker. The Heather Sellers case is still unsolved. I know. He is serving a life sentence for Dana Satterfield, but poor Heather's case has gone unresolved as of today when I googled it, and he was not involved in Michelle's disappearance. So we have gotten rid of Brad Vines. We have gotten rid of Jonathan Vick. So it's still a completely unsolved mystery. We go one more year, and that is the five-year anniversary of her going missing. What the announcer guy goes, the case grows very, very cold. <laughs> Girl! Both cases grow very very cold. What they're like, let's say it went cold. What's better than cold? I don't know. Very, very cold. We'll try it. Let's try it. You know what? I'm an improver. I'll try anything. <laughs> the gaze grows very, very cold. What's better than cold? Like, what's better than cold? I don't know. Try very, very cold. <laughs> From the booth. The case goes very, very. Add one more very. One more. Very. Very cold. So they're at five years and the family moves. And I gotta say, like, that has to be like. Oh, right. I wrote, for whatever reason, they move. <laughs> they don't explain that either. So, yeah. So Michelle's family moves 80 miles away. And I'm thinking, look, she's been gone for five years. Like, that's gotta be a fucking brutal decision. So we have no answers. They decide to finally have a memorial service for Michelle, not a funeral, because they still hadn't given up hope. And also, they wanted to grieve in some way. And when you've lost someone that long a time, the family that is still waiting for some word needs to grieve. And like, this is something I want to say about these missing persons cases. This is what's so hard. We're parents. Yeah, and it's like, uh... do you know what I mean? It's like you sit there and you think like, you have the cops who are trying to be super realistic. At some point, they say, we're looking for a body. Yep. We're no longer looking for a person. But then there is just in the back of your mind, there's this tiny, tiny little place where you have to have hope. The uncertainty, I honestly, and I don't know if, if I sound super callous saying this, but almost finding out that the unthinkable has happened is almost better than not knowing. Million percent. Million, million, kajillion percent. But like, you know who has given up hope at this point five years later? Me. You guys, she's not coming back. You know what yeah, I mean? No, she's not coming back. And same with the, the cops. You know, Sergeant Wood, Allen, Allen Wood, you know, has a conversation and says, she's gone. Let's start the process of acceptance. Yes. Her mother very pointedly asked me, 
what do you think? And I, I told her I thought she was dead. That must be so hard to hear. But again, having the finality of finding it out and just laying it to rest, but just having this big question mark I know. and having this memorial must seem so bleak to these families. Um, and the sister says as much. She's like, that was all we were ever going to get. I can't imagine that. So another year passes. We're now six. Wait, can I just say every time they say another year passes, I Patrick scream. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, my cats like both look at me like what the fuck lady? i know but another year goes by i six know years and girl we've got like nine seasons of this to get through like this is the hardest shit out there i, I know like oh i can't i can't imagine so we meet detective william gary he's assigned to the case he investigates cold cases and unsolved homicides from spartan county her case was worked as a homicide where she was believed to be deceased. He tells us, like, girls, we're looking for a body. Like, we are trying to solve a homicide here. So, August 4th, 2008. Girl, how did that day begin, by the way? It began like any other Monday. <laughs> I don't know why that stood out to me, but both times I watched this, I was like, that's a weird, I don't know. That's, that's, that seems like weird writing. <laughs> they received a call from an Oregon woman who says, what? Are you guys looking for Michelle Whitaker? Because, bitch, she's right here. There was a woman that told me that she was in Oregon and that she knew that we had a missing persons case with the name of Michelle Whitaker. And she said, well, I believe I know where she is and that she's here in Oregon. She's right here in Oregon. <laughs> Again, you guys, I needed more information on this. All we learned about this lady who made the phone call was that she had been like casually googing people she knew. Literally. Like, remember, I guess, like the internet was like newish, I guess, and like Facebook wasn't a thing yet. Yeah. And Google was probably pretty new. But like, we literally learned that she was just like sat down at home. She's like, let me Google my friends Ellen Marsh, Patrick Hines, <laughs> Michelle Whitaker. What? You know what, what? I mean? Like, <laughs> wait, what? what? <laughs> they told me they had search the internet just doing a google search for people and they ran across michellewhitaker.com so they're like no 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 seriously and the guy's like mm, i'm gonna need a picture yeah like that's gonna do it i'm gonna need a picture she's like cool yeah, yeah. here's a picture bloop, 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 bloop. sends a picture and they're like oh no that's her right <laughs> i have and bam it's fucking michelle whitaker but what does he say what is kind of like a little bit the garbagey sergeant the inappropriate sergeant say well Oh, she yeah. looked a bit heavier. <laughs> she looked a little bit heavier than the last time I remember. I was like, dude, I'm body shame. This is the same one who earlier in the episode was like, I remember when I met her in 99, she was fit, attractive girl. Yeah, I know. Come on. He's like, being gone for six years did nothing for her figure. Wait, wait. <laughs> But here's the thing. I am losing my mind. Like, when when this happened, I screamed. Because right. this shit never happens. When people disappear off the face of the planet and they make no contact with anybody in their extended family, they change their ways. Like, like this woman apparently never got arrested ever again. This all happened because she was, like, sleeping in her car and going to truck stops and getting arrested for public intoxication. I'm freaking out now. Yeah. I was free Like, in the moment, I could not believe that this was even fucking possible. Right. So they send the police... They're like, go check it out. Yeah. They find her. She begrudgingly goes. She gets fingerprints. And it is fucking her. It's fucking her. And that garbage cop who used to think she was hot but now thinks she's a little chunky is like, uh, when that Oregon cop relayed what she had to say, I knew it was her because she still got that mouth on her. Some of the information he relayed back to us about some of the things she says I knew exactly that was Michelle, and she still had the same mouth as she did then, you know, when she was missing. I don't think you're allowed to talk about 
grown women like that. I don't think that you're allowed to say that about grown ass women. Yeah, no, he's 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 a little bit of a pig. So <laughs> they call Michelle's mother and they're like, okay, how are we going to break it to her? They like go back and forth. They're like, how are we going to break it to her? What should we say? What should we say? How should we explain it? I have how- so much to say about this. I knew for me to call her out of the blue was going to be something unusual and probably was going to uh, perk her up real quick while was Alan Wood calling me. Me and Detective Gary talked about it, and we decided that it might be the best thing to do to tell her real quick, we found Michelle and she's okay. And then they're like, just rip the Band-Aid, just say it. They're like, we found Michelle and she's okay. Yeah, because they're like, it's going to be a shock. It's going to be a shock. And then we get her the mother, and she's like, you know what, girl? It was a shock. I was stunned. It was like I was having a dream. I It didn't kick in right away. It was a short phone call, and I was crying. But I just think it's so funny that they were, like, going back and forth. They're like, okay, I'm going to say we have some news. And then you say, I think so. Okay, no, start over, start over, run it again. Take it from the top. Okay, you say we found Michelle, and then I'll say she's alive. No, don't say like. And they just, like, go back and forth. They had, like, 12 rehearsals. And then after the mom tells us that she was in shock, guess what they do, Ellen? Creepy dolls! (laughs) Creepy dolls! I told you I wrote it in my notes. I just have, what the fuck is happening? I am never sleeping again. But then, get this! That guy down the street, that the, the cop from down the block that used to think she was hot but now thinks she's chunky, but definitely she's still got a mouth on her. Guess what he tells us now? He's like, oh, by the way, I can't tell you where she is. Yeah. Like, if she wants to get in touch with you, that's on her. Yeah. I, I made a promise that I wouldn't tell you. I'm not going to tell you. If you're going to hear from her, it's going to be her calling you. And I just said, oh, you try pulling that on me, Detective Dennis. See how that goes. And we had told her mother a long time ago that if we locate her, there's no obligation on our part to tell you where she is other than she's been located. And, of course, we kept that promise. We, we tried to encourage her to uh, communicate with her family just to put them at ease. The very next evening, Michelle calls her mother. Yeah, so the, she calls her mom the next day, and apparently the local news was there to, like, capture the phone call. Yeah, why was it the news was at Andrew's home. It, the, yeah, the news at the mom's house. And I'm like, could you give her a minute, girl? But then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy to witness this because she gets her daughter on the phone. She hasn't spoken to her in six years. The daughter is talking. The mom asks her to stop talking so that she can say to her the first words she says to her own daughter in six years, you know, the last time I saw you, girl, I was pretty mad for obvious reasons. Hi, honey. Just hold on a minute, Shelly. You know, the last time I saw you, I was upset with you for obvious reasons, but that's history. What? I know. I know. It's almost like just that lack. A filter. I I don't think she thought she was saying anything wrong. Like, it's just this this bedside manner. Like, please do not go into the healthcare field. Like, you have no bedside manner whatsoever. And she's like, we searched. We put up flyers. Like, it's all kind of about her. Totally. But then my next note is like, all right, Michelle, you got some splaining to do, girl. Oh, my God, you guys. The explanation so they reunite michelle explains the moment in her own words i kept touching them and squeezing them and hugging them it was like a ghost had come to life or something i was like oh my god you're actually here oh my god 
You're not mad at me. You don't hate me. Yeah, they pick her up at the airport, and it's like right from the minute Michelle starts talking, I'm like, oh my god, I know exactly what happened here. It's just a complete miscommunication. Like, the mom is so happy to see her at the airport, and we see the home video of it, and Michelle is like, I can't believe you guys came. I can't believe you don't hate me. I can't believe you're happy to see me. Right. And it's like, Michelle, what happened that made you feel that way? We're going to find out, and I'm going to flip this table. So, I mean, (laughs) I have two tables in my eyesight that I am prepared at any moment to flip. (laughs) Through this, you know, homecoming and everything, we find out that Michelle was indeed in Oregon. She went from uh, Spartanburg to Indiana to Virginia to Florida to 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 Reno. Reno. And then I met the guy and ended up being with her five years. During Michelle's odyssey, she would find love, friendship, and a job in Oregon, working as a nanny for a large family with foster children. I live on a farm with horses and lots of dogs and seven kids that I watch. I don't make a lot of money. I don't do it for anything like that. It just makes my heart (laughs) happy because the kids are wonderful. She has been gone for six years. So what did she do? She ran away to try and make a new life for her. She did not change her name. She said, I mean, this really stems from probably her assault, probably from mental illness, because she says, I thought my family would be better off without me. Before I left, her and I were so angry with each other, and she was saying things hurtful, and I was saying things hurtful. My mom, in a nice way, said I was a piece of crap because she didn't like the way I was leading my life. I wasn't doing the nicest of things like drinking and sleeping in cars. Um, And she said that the family would be better off without me. But you know why she thought that? She thought that because her mother told her that. Yeah. We, th- Michelle tells us, she said, our family would be better off without you. And Michelle did not take that as an insult. She took that as a directive. And she believed it and she left. And this is what just makes me so fucking mad. We've been watching this mom cry for the last 45 minutes and I'm sure she is sad. And I'm sure if she could take anything back in the world, it would be that. But the truth of the matter is that's why she left. Yeah. That's why she left. She ran away. She wanted to make a new life. And she then says to us later, she didn't think anyone was looking for her. My goal was to live in Myrtle Beach under the radar, go work at a bar, restaurant or something. Had no clue they thought I was dead or that they were searching for me. I totally thought that they were happy I'd be gone. She had no idea. She said, and also remember, like, of course, this is something we're always going to go back to in these cases. Facebook was established in 2006. Yeah. But it wasn't prevalent in our life the way it is now till rougher around 2010. MySpace was launched in 2003. But again, it was more for music. So all of these social media networks where she could have, like, had her name pinged really weren't there. So she was all the way in Oregon heard hide no hair of anything on the news or anything and when she tells us this I deeply believe her she said I didn't think anyone cared I thought they were happier without me and it's like oh my god I mean the thing that I have learned from doing these podcasts for years and years are like those impulses you have as a parent when you love your kids so much and you're so disappointed that you want to say like our family would be better off without you because you think it's going to wake them up right not because you mean it but because you think it's going to wake them up you can't ever say those things because you don't know how a person is going to receive it especially an addict and an alcoholic to your point saying she took it as a directive is a perfect way to sum it up can we do one thing I want to talk about one thing I said I was going to come back to this Michelle now tells us about what happened the night that she went missing right And she says that she was hammered. She went to the Waffle House to get some food. She had no money. And she feels bad about it. She's like, I know that that was stealing, but I was so hungry. The way she says so hungry is like so fucking heartbreaking. I went to a restaurant, a Waffle House, and I went in with no money and ordered food. 
And then luckily the guy behind me, I'm gonna cry, paid for my food because I had no money. And that's, I mean, that's stealing. I knew I had no money and I walked in there without it, but I was so hungry and I was still drunk. And I walk in there and this guy pays for my food, luckily, and then gives me a ride back into town. And I mean, I could have been murdered. I could have been beat. I could have been something and nothing happened. Thank God. But wow. Was that the Vic guy? I, I, like, remember? I wondered the same thing. Yeah. The witness who said that she, he saw her going on a date with this guy. Was that him? Yeah. Because I think it must have been because she says I could have been murdered. I could have been killed. I could like anything could have happened to me. But I'm like, I need to know. Like, was that was that him? Was that eyewitness was right? And then the episode just ends with the mom. The mom is like, you know, what's amazing about me? Yeah. People <laughs> ask me all the time if I'm mad at my daughter. And I say, no, I'm not. So people have asked me. Aren't you angry with her? And my immediate answer and my only answer and my truthful answer is no, I'm not. And, and the mom says to us she now, was, she's like, you know, Michelle w- was gone for six years and she let herself believe that it was me that was the reason that she left and not her own problems. And it was six years of nobody correcting her memories. And I was like, I can't believe that you are just so willing to say this on fucking television. She was not in a position to think clearly about the consequences of disappearing. Maybe it was even necessary for her. I don't care. I care about getting my daughter back. That's all. Yeah, the mom seems like a bit of a narcissist. (laughs) Um, In the sense that she kind of like made up her own narrative. And I don't take away one moment that the mother was devastated, searched for her. But I kind of feel like she's like, well, (laughs) she kind of is a lot of a little bit of finger pointing. And when we meet Michelle again, six years later, she seems like she got her life together. And maybe she needed to remove herself from these bad decisions and this toxic environment or this narcissistic mom or whatever the situation was and kind of make a new life. relating totally different she's letting me be me so i have to just let her be her if nothing else came of six years but that that's awesome for our relationship i think we'll have nothing but good things from here on out you know do i completely agree with like her falling off the map like no probably not maybe a little like letter or an email would have been great but that's what she did yeah and didn't you feel like she seemed really like calm and yeah i mean and all of a sudden she's in the end of the episode it's like michelle whitaker you're like oh my god you're actually here on this episode i know i had the same thought i mean she has put on a little weight just ask the cop he'll tell you but like (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean i had the same thought and like her her just genuine disbelief that anybody was looking for her yeah you know and and like the final thing that we see is like the sister on the party boat it's got to come back to her who's like we still have a long road ahead and yeah and that's like that's just how it ends that is how it ends did you goog i want to know what's happening with the family now um i tried to look up michelle whitaker on social media and i couldn't find anything yeah something about the six-year absence tells me that she's not great on the social media right (laughs) (laughs) michelle whitaker if you're out there and you want to make contact and let us know how you are girl reach out episode four the case oh, of michelle whitaker it was stressful but happy ending happy yeah. ending that i didn't know that that was gonna happen in these episodes i am thrilled i am really really thrilled oh would that be so awesome if we got to talk to michelle whitaker oh my god <gasps> michelle if you're listening call us girl Please. 
please. Oh, oh that'd be so fun. Oh, um, girl, tell the people where they can find us on the social meds. The Disappeared Pod on Instagram and just Disappeared Pod on Twitter. On the Disappeared Pod on Instagram, I'm doing like all the stories where I'm playing like little clips as I'm editing them and we're both getting in there and being silly. Ellen is managing our social media. She's doing such an amazing job. <laughs> if you want to see like pictures of us from college, pictures of like me marrying her and her first husband and she <laughs> marrying me and my first husband. Um, I've only had one husband, but we are not together anymore. We are, we are consciously uncoupled. We're very happy. Yes, he's super hot. So your social needs are at Ellen Marsh on everything. Yeah, and you are at Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram and at Patrick Hines on Twitter. So is there another Patrick Hines on Instagram? We should find him. Yeah, he's. I, I think he's a priest or something, so I'm Get letting him out. have it. Um, <laughs> you guys, we are also, I want to let you know, we're doing outtakes at the end of our episode, so stay tuned because they are ridiculous and hilarious. <laughs> And you guys, I also want to tell you again that all episodes of IDs Disappeared are available for streaming now on IDGo. The first season of Disappeared is streaming for free at IDGo. And a complimentary digital series, The Missing, is available on Facebook Watch with new episodes posting every Tuesday on IDs Facebook page. You guys, I've been watching those. They're like 10 minute long episodes about missing people and they are fucking fascinating. Oh, I can't do it. I don't know how you do it. I, I My stress levels can't handle it. <laughs> Um, girl, I love you. I hate that we're still doing this over FaceTime. I know. FaceTime quarantine. I, I love you. I love seeing your Thanks, face. Girl. I love when missing people aren't missing. I love your hair. Oh, my I God. Love thank your you. I love you. And we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Listen, if you're loving our episodes, tell a friend about it. Get them involved. Get them involved. Why not? Get them involved. <laughs> Tag us in your posts. Tag us in your stories. We'll retweet. We'll repost. We love you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Love you. Oh, no. I'm still recording. I'm okay. still... The Zoom is separate. Yeah, yeah. I know. Okay. I Don't... Okay. Oh, do you know? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you're, could you... Quiet. Could you do a... Very... <laughs> I I love an off-camera yell. It's so good. I love... Just like, you know what? That was good. No, that was a good take. We're going to keep it. But can you just add a very, very... Just one more very. What's the difference? Just trust me. Add a one more berry. Just take it again. We're going to keep the first one. We're going to keep the berry. Add a berry berry. Just for me. Just, it's, this is bonus. We've got the footage. You want to make contact and let us know how you are. Girl, reach out. Oh my gosh, Michelle Whitaker. I want to ask you all the questions. I Mainly, know. how do you do that? Because listen, I don't want to disappear for six years, but I could disappear for a week. I would take I... a solid week. One note, just because I love you. Will you try to give a little, give me a little more commentary than just like what happened? What do you mean? Just give me some commentary. So like, just like, like if you, like if you, like when you're talking about the plot points, if you have a thought about it, right, say right. that too. Okay. Okay. So, um, this is where we end the podcast. Bye. <laughs> Wait, but first of all, couple, I want to quantify some things. Number one, I am not a drinker. No. Like at all. So I when I do have a beverage, I'm seriously turned into a frat boy. <laughs> like I get angry. I start crushing cans on and my head. swearing. You're also not like a cusser. And you were swearing. It was, I was like, who is this person? Do you remember the one time you got super hammered when I was a bartender? You had like two drinks that night or whatever. And I threatened to sell you to the back of house staff. Yeah. You were like, I am about to sell you off to the highest bidding busser in two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story. 